Hey guys, this is Just Mike of Pod, and so today we have some special bonus content for you all relating to our book of the month back in March, Protect and Defend. We wanted to push this out to you before we move into our April book of the month, Extreme Measures, because we were super grateful that a listener, Ben, reached out and let us know that he's between deployments on AA Sub, and he'd be happy to chat about that since Protect and Defend had a really great submarine plot that Chris and I both enjoyed, and we covered it back on the part two episode of Protect and Defend. So really awesome that Ben, a fellow listener of Mitrap Pod, appreciates what we're doing with the project and wanted to lend his insight uh, into going underwater, which is something Vince doesn't do too often. Uh, we're not very often you know, in the Navy or on a ship with Mitch Rapp. And so, well, if he is on a, on a boat, he's probably attacking or taking someone out like Stu Garrett or that uh, Saudi Arabian uh, prince. But anyway, uh, actual service members in the Navy, we wanted to honor them and shout out people like Ben, who's going to join us today. And he's extraordinarily knowledgeable and experienced in the field. Uh, currently on deployment, I believe now, uh, since we recorded, so we were able to squeeze in a session to pick his brain about that. He really fills us in on what Vince got right about life on a sub and uh, a little bit about operations um, working in that field. So he's got some great stories, great anecdotes about his time at sea, so we hope you enjoy this interview. A little special midweek or end-of-week bonus, but don't forget... Monday, we will still be picking up with part one of Extreme Measures, covering the first half of that book, our book of the month for April, and we'll be back to a normal schedule uh, every Monday from here on out. Just wanted to drop this bonus for you, since it relates to Protect and Defend, which we just recently covered. All right, well, thank you, Ben, for coming on the show, and listeners, hope you enjoy this little extra special bonus interview. Here we go. Hey guys, today we have a special guest, Ben. He is a Mitrap fan and listener of Mitrap Pod who reached out and knew that we were covering Protect and Defend, you know, which has a really awesome submarine plot, which is something new for Vince. So thanks, Ben, for reaching out and coming on the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So why don't you tell us a little bit of your background, what the process was like to finally, I believe they call it, get your dolphins and, uh, and go underwater. Yep. So uh, I graduated with my undergraduate degree in 2014. Um, I worked for a little bit in the financial firm, uh, financial sector rather, uh, decided that wasn't for me and wound up joining the Navy. I went through basic training, you know, submarine school, all that stuff, and wound up getting assigned to a fast attack submarine uh, that was already on deployment. Uh, the Navy then flew me out to meet the uh, ship in a foreign port. And uh, within my first two days, I was on my first mission, so I was thrown right into it, which was um, a little nerve-wracking, I'll be honest with you. Came back, finished my qualification process. The qualification process for a submariner can take up to a year where you learn every part of the submarine, 
came back got my dolphins uh deployed again about a year later now we are back we've been back for about a year and we're gearing up for another deployment uh pretty soon that's awesome well thank you for what you do i, I want to know though so a lot of thriller writers have some naval scenes vince typically doesn't so when this popped up in protect and defend it was it was kind of refreshing to you know be on a ship and and then be underwater in a sub and see what's going on. So can you give us a little bit about life on the ship, you know, both the job itself but also even socially. What's it like with the other service members and just a daily routine? What's it like? Absolutely. So the daily routine on the submarine is you're woken up by someone who's called the messenger. It's usually the most junior person on board. They're effectively just what sounds like a messenger. And they also act as a human alarm clock. Uh, submarines run on a 24-hour schedule. So one section is standing to watch. The next section is offgoing. And there's another section that's oncoming, which is in the rack sleeping. Uh, the messenger wakes you up, you go and you eat, um, usually you go to what's called a pre-watch brief where fi the fire control guys will brief, you know, we have tubes one through four loaded for launch with these weapons. We the sonar guys will brief the environment. Quartermasters navigation division will brief their, uh, the water, where we have water, where's good. Um, radio will go through their comms briefing. ESM, which is electronic support, uh, basically electronic warfare, will go through uh, any threats in the area. And then usually someone will kind of bring all home with any engineering evolutions that have to be done for that day. Do you rotate through those jobs or is it highly specialized where you're, you're the guy just to do that one? No. So enlisted members of the submarine force are sent to a specialized school called A-School. Their training, I believe, lasts a year. Officers initially go through nuclear power school and then they go on to prototype before going on to submarine school. So for a nuclear officer, the beginning of their tour on a submarine is spent um, in the engine room, standing engineering officer, the watch and whatnot. And then finally they, you know, towards the end of that rotation on their first boat, they are brought forward and they stand um, contact manager, officer, the deck, those watches. Hmm. How long would a typical stretch be like that or a full deployment be in terms of months, weeks? Uh, a typical fast attack deployment is about six months right now. Wow. But, you know, there's port calls in there. You're not submerged the sure. entire thing. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So how about the social life? Uh, do you guys find ways to keep busy? Is, is there a lot of, you know, you guys ribbing each other? Are you working out? What, 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 like, is there space to do any of that stuff? My submarine currently has a uh, treadmill, a rowing machine, and two bikes. And they are in the most random places. One of the bikes yeah. is jammed in between some sonar servers. One of the uh, the treadmill is back in the engine room. So it, it's all over the place. We have some a couple free weights. They're, uh, they're very block shaped so that they won't roll around and make noise because that's that uh, really your biggest enemy on a submarine. Um, so you have those and then, you know, there's bands and stuff. So you try and keep busy. A lot of it varies for watch teams, uh, more senior watch teams 
with more senior members who have done a deployment or two, they'll uh, they'll set up like Matthew McConaughey Mondays. They'll set up, um, you know, rom-com Fridays, just something to break up the monotony. Yeah. So they watch a lot of movies. Um, and as for ribbing, <laughs> I mean, I, this is a family show, so, you know, we'll yeah. keep it PG, but, you know, they're, uh, the people who serve on submarines are widely considered to be the most academically gifted members of the Navy, if not the armed services, because it's a nuclear-powered vessel. So, so you know, that breeds a lot of shenanigans, we'll say. Sure. Yep. Yeah. You got to keep it light, you know. Absolutely. You got to enjoy it. <laughs> Well, actually, we get a description, just to bring it back to Vince, of Captain Pete Hallberg, who's in charge of this particular sub in the book. So maybe you could just let me know how how, um, how on point or not uh, this description of him sounds. So Vince writes, quote, Captain Pete Hallberg was a prime candidate for an ulcer. The 45-year-old graduate of Annapolis never lost his temper but he internalized stress, shoving it down into the pit of his stomach where he fed it with black coffee, 10 cups a day or more. His only saving grace was 20 minutes he put it on the heavy bag in the bowels of the sub's engine room. That and the bottle of Tums antacid tablets that he went through every week. Sound about right? Uh, yeah, that, that is, that's actually pretty accurate. Um, the coffee machine is... I don't want to say the pride and joy of the boat because that's crazy, <laughs> but there was a slight anecdote for you. Uh, while we were on deployment, the coffee machine decided it, you know, didn't want to play nice. And in our uh, electrical division, they tore it apart and like put it back together within the span of like, <laughs> two hours and got it to work. Yes. You know? And now they're forever heroes. Yep. Uh, as for a heavy bag, finding a place to strap it yeah, where it wouldn't bang into things isn't um isn't so much feasible but I, i'd be lying if i said i haven't seen crazier well i mean the treadmill shoved in the yeah. corner of the rowing machine next to the yeah. uh... so you know if uh there's a lot of ingenuity that uh comes with being on a submarine uh there's a very famous quote that i once read it says there's room for anything on a submarine but a mistake so Ooh. yeah oh yeah that's it so I'm sure that uh, you know, an enterprising captain could find you know a couple guys who want to uh, you know, get in good with the boss to find a place for it. Yeah, hey, that's a good quote. Absolutely. So the ship we have, I don't know, I don't recall the exact model or name of it, but they're with the Eisenhower Strike Group in the Persian Gulf, and they are sent out to depart from the main group and follow an Iranian three, I believe they called it three kilo class subs. And, and there's one that they're trying to track that's right. making these funny maneuvers. I think it, it goes through the Strait of Hormuz, which is shallow waters. And once it gets out, it starts figure eight patterns and it hides behind a super tanker. Would that raise alarm bells or would your sonar guys pick up on something like that when other ships are making funny maneuvers or would you actually follow a, you know, a foreign vessel? Is that the typical kind of stuff you're, you're tracking? So I can't comment Depends on the on, mission, right? I can't comment on uh, submarine operations. What I can tell you is that um, I did just grab the book off the shelf earlier to find the passage. Um, the U.S. vessel is the USS Virginia. It is the lead ship of the Virginia yes. class. It specifically talks about how the sonar operators are able to pick up the Iranian kilo class 
which is a Russian, a Russian diesel electric. I actually have a reference here by H.I. Sutton, which let me see if I can find it for you real quick. But yeah, I know the frigate they they sink also was an old Russian vessel. They said that the Iranians, you know, got used up from the seventies or something. Very good. Yeah. So a Russian kilo is a diesel electric designed since the nineteen eighties. The backbone of the Russian's Navy conventional submarine force has been widely exported. Um, mm -hmm. I can't recall how many Iran has right now off the top of my head, but it is interesting that it is their most capable submarine that I, at least that I can think of off the top of my head. If the USS Virginia in this uh, story was sent to uh, follow them, it make the part of the story that he talks about where um, they pick them up on their light, uh, I think he said lightweight wide aperture array, which is mm -hmm. the Elwha. There's um, on either side of a Virginia class, there's three panels which are sonar sensors. So you can uh, you can definitely pick things up on that. Mm -hmm. um, if Iran was sorting their Navy, like in the book, yeah, that's something that, you know, the U.S. would want to investigate. So it definitely makes sense for the U.S. to, uh, to look into it. Um, and, you know, submarines, obviously, we don't have windows. We do have sonar. So what you can do is you can use background noise in the water to mass mm -hmm. future. Yep. So what the Iranian captain did in the book does yep. make sense, you know, trying to hide behind the uh the deep merchant who's chugging along, you know, because the sonar guys can only see what's in front of them. They can't they can kind yeah. of pick it out. Some gifted ones are more apt to it. But it gets a little um, you know, if you're throwing a uh, smoke grenade, it's hard to see who's running around and who's sure. in the zoo and vince uh, there's a passage you're, you're spot on where the iranian sub is hiding behind a super tanker and it's masked because the vince writes the acoustics were horrible add to that the freighter traffic of all ship uh, shapes and sizes fishing boats pleasure crafts and the sonar men were left with a din that was comparable to trying to listen to your cell phone while sitting in the front row of a rock concert. So right. all this, you know, ruckus is being kicked up by other ships in the vicinity. And I think at one point there's a lot of mud in the water, a lot of debris in the water that's that's screwing it up. So that sounds about right. right. At, to some extent. Um, so sonar as a discipline follows what's called MASIN, which stands for Measures and Signature Intelligence. Um and there are specialists in the Navy who can pick out like this tiny little line, mm. something that like, it looks like, you know, fuzz and they point at the screen they're like, that's him. Um, wow. But again, you know, if the, um, if the ocean environment isn't conducive, if, uh, you know, they're super tankers, it, it can get extremely difficult. And uh, I think Vince Flynn mentions one guy, I think he called him Sully who, uh, you know, he says he's a little crazy and uh, he's picking it out. That's that's actually extremely accurate. There's always, there's always one guy who's, uh, you know, just slightly off tilt. And, uh, yep. you know, he's like, listen, I know it sounds crazy, but what if it's this? They can pick it up. Yeah. yeah and you're like, all right, man, we'll try it. So, yeah, usually I trust that guy. That plus the experience of Captain Hallberg, because at one point, I think Halberg goes off for a rest, like he's off ship, uh, off right. shift. But the guy he leaves the controls to is less experienced. And not to say, 
won't do as good a job, but he does miss something. Like there, the the sub is doing all these crazy figure eight patterns and going in and out, and and he's like, Cap, I think you would have you would have caught that. I'm sorry, I missed it. And Cap's like, you know, that's all right. Yeah, it comes with experience. A, a lot of it is uh, unfortunately, you know, learning from experience. We have uh, the Navy has something called lessons learned, which is uh, pretty much what it sounds like. Basically, something goes wrong. And we all, we, you know, we write it up and we study it. Hey, what they do wrong? How to go wrong? What could they have done different? And, you know, some of them are, you know, hundreds of pages long. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, you know, it's just in that moment. Hey, what did I mess up? All right, let me take a breath, shake it off and uh, get yep. back to it. Yep. Yep. Wow. And this ship is described as 377 feet with 134 submariners on it about average or i mean does it depend on the type but but does that sound about the size of a crew even these days um 34 the crew is dependent so mm-hmm. depending on the mission you may have a embarked specialist depending on what you're doing um occasionally you'll do stuff with special operations forces like the seals and they'll be birthed down the torpedo room you know eating all the good food and uh ah. you know so Special treat. I'd yeah, say watching about, the good movies. Yeah, I'd say it's about average. Um, it can be uh, a little, you know, a little cramped sometimes. But sometimes, you know, if you're just going to local waters to do some training, it can be pretty empty on board. Mm-hmm. You know, in the book and on our last episode, actually, I found some research of real um, drills that the Iranians were running and some craziness they've done. Have you heard of this? They actually, yep, they made a mock U.S. Uh, aircraft carrier and then accidentally sank the mock one, which clogged up the Strait of Hormuz. Is that kind of craziness going on out there? Are there some other navies that are just that clueless? Yeah, if I recall correctly, um, Iran did what they called a uh, Operation Noble Prophet. I think it was called. I think that's their yearly uh, exercise. Okay, where they um. They had like guys landing on it, you know, with their, um, it was like, I saw, I saw the propaganda video too. And I was like, wow, this is, uh, wow. Hollywood needs to step it up. This is awesome. And, uh, you know, I I don't know how much training value you get out from shooting, you know, a big barge, but, um, right. It was, it was certainly something to watch at the very least. Yeah. A spectacle. Yeah. Iran it Iran actually has a this is just a strange thing to uh, explain to people but it's uh it's widely reported online Iran has uh, two navies a lot of people don't realize that so they have the Islamic Republic of Iran Navy which is their first navy and then they have the IRGC Navy which is the Republican Guard uh, the Republican Guard is they're the ones who you always see on speedboats online you know running around and i think i forgot what year it was but i remember i found this online i could send you the link when i find it later but a u.s marine corps general had to do a um a war game where he was basically you know in charge of iran's forces and he was up against the u.s Mm -hmm. and he just had uh these suicide bombers on speedboats mob Mm -hmm. u.s ships and Mm -hmm. He wound up winning the war game, and then they got you know, and they got mad at him because you know, like you cheated. No, uh, I won. 
you need people like that, though. If you're trying to be one step ahead and you're trying to plan ahead, you, you need creative thinkers who are going to go yeah. outside the box and think of that stuff. Absolutely. I think the first place I read about that actually was Crack.com, the, uh, the comedy website. I remember yeah. reading, I was like, this can't be real. I mean, look at the coal, though, right? And um, yep. the U.S. coal. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what happened. And so why couldn't it happen again if, if, no, if the fight's that serious? And that's something that, uh, to bring it back to the book, that's something that um, Vince Flynn does a good job with, how yeah. when he describes, you know, uh, contact happening in the Middle East and all these organizations, um, you know, I think he mentions, you know, the Kurds are up against uh, yep. miscellaneous paramilitary groups in Iraq. It's pretty accurate, you know, the yeah. um, the way it's happening. Obviously, he has Mitch Rapp, you know, taking him out. But even that team, you know, it, it's written to a pretty realistic level for the most part. You know, we hear that not just from yourself, but other experts in their fields and other people with experience. Like just last week. Uh, we had on a Secret Service agent commenting on active treason and again said, got a lot of the specs and what the life is like. And then next week, um, probably actually right before this interview airs, we talked to a guy who worked for the CIA in protect executive protection of the director. And he wow. said, you know, that operation had a lot of elements that relate to the real world, like you said, using the Kurds. Sometimes they would use the local forces, either police forces or other allies in the area. But if they didn't trust them, they'd give them a bait and switch and send them to a different site or give them a wrong map or wrong plans. And they just pull off the operation as they need. Yeah. So I just keep hearing over and over that a lot of these storylines are just they're in tune with uh, what real people in the world are, what operators like yourself are going through. Absolutely. They are, uh, they're very well-researched books. Um, when Kyle Mills took over, I think his expertise, I think he might have some friends who work for European governments because mm. some of the stuff is, um, it's not different. It's just parallel. So it's yes. like, you know, it's like a shirt, you know, it's the same shirt. It's just a slightly different color and yep. interesting to, you know, uh, see how he does that. His father was FBI in a very high level position with, I want to say, somewhere in the UK, if I'm not mistaken. So I, th I think you're spot on picking up on that. And like Red War, all about Russia. He really gets a lot of the internal Russian politics, I think, right. Absolutely. Red War um, actually had one scene that I found very funny where um, I think Rap gets picked up by um, a British boat, probably, if I had to guess, you know, an astute class or um, okay. one of those boats. And uh, all of a sudden they take a big angle and he's like, oh, my God, are we getting shot at? Uh, you know, on at least on U.S. boats, that's something that you're going to announce to the whole crew. Like, hey, we're being shot at. Uh, you better get to where you need to be. Yeah. Yeah. Battle stations. Absolutely. So speaking of uh, some of these other books, let's hear about your rap fandom. How'd you get into it? Do you remember? Is there a favorite book or a first book that you picked up? Um, so I got into thrillers in a very strange way. Um, my grandmother, this is, this is a strange story. Uh, she got the book Nightfall, which is more of a detective book. Okay. Um, and she gave it, she read it and she gave it to me. And she's like, yeah, it's a detective book. I think you'd like it. And I said, okay. The first scene is a, um, a rather graphic sex scene, which 
I couldn't believe my grandmother had given it to me, but I was like, okay, <laughs> cool. And then I was pretty much hooked. Uh, I got into the rap novels themselves on my first deployment. Okay. I was new, you know, my sleep schedule was immediately thrown off because I was working 16 hours a day. Didn't really know how to uh, get into sleep. And some guy basically uh, handed me a book and said, here, read this. It'll help you fall asleep. So nice. I think the first one I read was, um, let me see if I can see it. Yeah, I think it was Transfer of Power. And yes. Yeah. They honestly, they've been some good books. Um, yeah. And then as I progressed in my, you know, um, career, you know, I got a Kindle, super lightweight, easy to, uh, you know, throw under your pillow. Super awesome. So I started downloading them and reading them, you know, when I was, uh, you know, standing in line waiting for food or, you know, waiting for a, uh, you know, something to happen. And I got into them. Um, I really liked the, um, not the, not, um, total power, the one before it, um, lethal agent, lethal agent, absolutely. About the virus. Love that with, one with the virus, especially what's happening in today's society. I found that absolutely. I found that a little too close to home, honestly, because he oh, wrote it just before the outbreak. Yeah. So I mean, Kyle was researching that book in 2019, early 2019. Right. It's crazy. And I mean, besides that, even if it wasn't a story that was so perfect and fitting for today's world, just as a thriller and a book, I thought it was fantastic. It's Absolutely. Of, it's among my favorite rap books. And, uh, you know, that's saying something. I thought yeah. Kyle nailed that one. Absolutely. And then, you know, that book and Total Power, how they both start with, um, you know, while he both he starts both them with effectively saying, hey, I did a bunch of research on this stuff. <laughs> yeah. I have to change some things because uh, this yeah. is actually, you know not not great it's true there was a funny one where he had to set kyle told us he had to set total power in the winter even though he planned to make it a summer book because there was no possible scenario like he was wargaming it out there's no possible scenario if that happens in the summer that it doesn't cause massive wildfires oh, and basically absolutely. destroy the country so he's like i had to go to winter just so the whole country doesn't die off absolutely yeah it was it was very well done uh yeah. they've all they've all been pretty good uh his yeah. books and um if you're familiar with brad thor's uh books oh yeah also brad thor i think did um i think he has a background in research i think he might have been a history major in college or something so he's big he's big on the geopolitics yeah brad yeah. thor and he really gets that right you know <laughs> chris isn't here and i'm sorry i didn't get to talk to chris i think he would have loved uh, meeting you and picking your brain. Next Chris one. is big on Brad Thor. He's trying to convince us to uh, maybe uh, pick up a season two of the podcast when we're done with rap. So okay, something something might be uh, on the horizon. For That'd us be awesome. Because he has yeah. uh, he's quite the library. I'm looking at it right now. And Black Ice is coming out really soon. I think this summer. Yes, June, I, uh, I have it pre-ordered. I. Unfortunately, I'll be deployed, but my plan is to uh, pull in to some port call with my Kindle and passively download it. So, Sweet. yeah. Hey, that sounds good. Yeah. Well, I guess one thing we didn't get to was favorite character. Are you a Scott guy? Besides Mitch, right? Are you a Scott guy, an Irene guy, Dumont, Marcus Dumond? I, I really do like Marcus Dumond. I like the fact that, um, you know, I kind of see – a lot of hit myself in him, you know, he's kind of this, uh, 
this nerdy guy who uh his contribution is you know his brains where um you know just by where i work you know we're uh we're not you know front lines we're basically analysts underwater mm. like him but other than him scott coleman all the way he's navy got it you gotta stick with the navy <laughs> you know we just had a listener she listened to our protect and defend write-up and she's like you guys missed it. You know why you rated it so low and why we were pretty low on the book as a whole? She goes, there was no Scott. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, you're right. Is there? It wasn't even mentioned. I didn't even think of it. Me neither. Maybe that's- I got kind of caught up in the storyline. I totally didn't realize. No Wicker, no Scott. And so I'm going to have to shout her out uh, on our next episode. Yeah, for that's pointing awesome. That out. And I mean, Those- mm-hmm. other than that, I think uh, I have to, I also have to say Anna, I like that she's always giving this crap. I think that's an <laughs> awesome way to, you know, kind of humanize him this way. He's not just this uh, robot-like killer running around the world true. You know, taking care of business. And you might know what that's like getting back from deployment and getting nagged and having so much to figure out or you got to do the finances or whatever. Yeah. Just the few months you have to yourself. Yeah, it gets uh, – it actually gets – it's really surreal. There was one day uh, – I we got back from deployment like a couple days later. Uh, I was out with some friends and uh, – I was early. I got to the bar earlier. I was at, just at the bar, you know, drinking a beer, waiting for them to show up. And I was like, this is so surreal. This is weird. I was like, what the hell am I doing here? Yeah. So, yeah, it's 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 weird to come home. You have to, you know, take a couple of days and shake it off. Yeah, being on land, being underwater, not just physically, but just your whole awareness of the environment and society it must be something. Absolutely. It's, yeah. it's different. But it's part of life. Hey, that's a sacrifice we all thank you for. So No, it's it's honestly a pleasure. It's an awesome job. That is awesome. I love you know what I love hearing that so much. I'm gonna message you if you're okay sharing a mailing address, send you some stickers, a bookmark, and a no limits t shirt. So I'm wearing the black one here. Oh being that's a service cool. member. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you up with that, some of our swag. Thank you. And I have to say I really like the uh the concept of the show, you know, just two friends that enjoy the series and uh basically want to turn their hobby into something to share with everyone i think that that's awesome i uh i'm hugely supportive of you guys thanks a lot man thank you that's why we appreciate you and we wouldn't be doing it unless we hear from listeners like you so thanks for reaching out of course if if uh ships or submarines come up again in one of the future books you mind if i give you a text see if we can arrange something else to pick your brain Absolutely. And if you have any questions about just how, you know, government, I guess, security questions about how they do that, shoot me a, shoot me a message. You know, if I'm on cool. land, I'll, uh, I'll try and give you the best unclassified answer. Hey, that sounds great. Thank you, Ben, for coming on. Really appreciate it. Good luck with your next deployment. All right. Thank you. Take care. Just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster, but thank you to them for bringing us the wonderful world of rap. And the music soundtrack is Guerrilla Tactics by Raphael Crooks.